Welcome to Not a Tomboy, a podcast by Vanessa Nichols. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to my Pride Month 2020 series. Since we can't get together in person this Pride Month, I have an amazing lineup of activists, allies, and advocates for the LGBTQ community. Each guest has given me the name of their favorite Black charity, so please check the description and donate if you can. Please share these episodes on your social media platforms and leave us a review so these amazing voices can reach more people. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this episode. everyone. Welcome back to Not a Tomboy, a podcast by Vanessa Nichols. On today's episode, we have one of my most favorite writers, advocate, activists in the world, Amber Leventry. Did I say it right? Leventry, but you know. Leventry. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the wrong accent. I don't know why I the do it every time. Syllable. <laughs> yes. Amber, thank you so much for being here today. I am just like I said, even before we started recording the podcast, I'm nervous because I look up to you so much as a writer. I am, as you know, an amateur writer and I've had a few published pieces, but you are like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Your advocacy work for the LGBTQ plus community is everywhere. Your writing is everywhere. So introduce yourself. Tell us a little, tell our listeners a little bit about what you want them to know. Goodness. Well, thank you for that introduction. And you are more than an amateur writer. Your writing is beautiful and you definitely have a way with influencing people. And I'm actually jealous of your energy and the way that you are able to talk about current events in such a timely way on your um, social media platforms. So thank you. Um, I don't always have the energy the day of to kind of address issues. I, I kind of let things sit a little bit and then tackle it in, yes, usually a um, an article of some sort. So thank you for the intro. My name's Amber. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I am a non-binary queer parent. Yeah, like you said, I'm an LGBTQIA plus advocate and educator and public speaker and freelance writer and all the things. And I have three kiddos. My oldest is nine and my twins turn 10. Oh my God. That's crazy. It's bonkers. And one (laughs) of the, my twins is a transgender girl and has been living as her, I mean, she's always been living as her true self because she's never said otherwise, but she socially transitioned as far as pronouns go, Right before she turned three. So she has almost four years of the world knowing exactly who she is. And she's extra, <laughs> not because she's trans, but just, it'll serve her well. Um, yeah. But of my three Leader, kids, leadership. Yes. She'll do things. Yeah. And she was carrying a box fan down the steps the other day. And my first thought was, <laughs> oh my gosh, stop that. You're going to get her. And I'm like, well, initiative, like if, okay, yeah. this is going to yeah. serve her well. But in the meantime, I wish she would just like brush your teeth and do the simple stuff and not like of whole course. like medium-sized appliances <laughs> between floors but <laughs> I love it um, though I mean that might be future like leadership presidential qualities um on your writing I wanted to read this quote before we get too far off of your writing because I want to talk about a bunch of different things I want to talk about the state of the world right now black lives matter movement from our white privilege which I I have to 
to, to clarify, we're speaking from white privilege when we have these conversations today, but I want to talk about Pride Month. I want to talk about you being a public visible advocate and being in the LGBTQ plus community, but I want to read this from your website. You say, I am a writer. I am an advocate. I am a parent to a transgender child. I am also queer and non-binary. I do not speak for all people who share elements of my journey, nor can anyone speak for me. But if we can bridge the gap of ignorance and fear with threads of commonality, then we can find ways to respect and understand each other. I am a storyteller. Let me tell you a story. I found that paragraph so incredibly powerful, just those words. And I just think that that is, I I feel that energy because I am a storyteller as well. And you said something just a little bit ago, I, that you sit on things and you let them resonate and, and kind of marinate before you speak on them, which I have the opposite I will call it a problem because I speak off the cuff sometimes (laughs) and sometimes I get myself into trouble that way. But I love that you're a storyteller and I want to talk about your coming out story and, and your public speaking, but what is it like right now in 2020 as a visible queer person in this energy and in this climate in Trump 2020, what is it like for you to be in this space right now? Oh, wow. Um, I think it depends on the day, honestly. I think, um, you know, before COVID happened, I think we, you know, we were in the beginning of trying to fight these bills that were, didn't, did the one in Idaho pass um, the, the trans athletes or was that Utah? I can't even keep track. There, I should... Yeah, I know. Same. I, I'm oh. not even sure we which state, but you're right. One of the states, South Dakota, or one of them, I can't, I can't keep them straight either. But yes, one of them passed. Right. So, so we were like actively fighting, you know, just to let trans athletes participate in the sports that they love and to use the bathrooms. And we're fighting, you know, like what seems ridiculous. And then it became like a us versus them kind of situation, which as a marginalized voice, and I appreciate that you read the the quote from my article, because I always like to say in my writing and in my trainings, I don't speak for the entire queer community. I don't speak for all parents. I don't speak, you know, for all of anybody, you know, the queer community, it's not a monolith, there's, you know, so many different types. And I say, you know, this is what the word pansexual means. But just because this is how I'm defining it, giving you an overall definition, you know, I like to say it's, you fall in love with all the hearts and parts, you don't kind of put gender on the way you fall in love kind of thing, or, you know, the way a body is made, I say, you know, but just because I'm telling you this definition doesn't mean somebody else who identifies as that might tell you something different. And the bottom line is we need to just trust and believe what somebody says they're true and not question it. I think that's where we get in trouble sometimes as people. We don't trust other people's feelings of, you know, and that's, I think, the climate now with the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't know what it's like to be Black, and I never will. And I don't think that's the point. I don't think we need to know what it's like to be queer, what it's like to be Black, and then the intersection of being Black and trans. I mean, there's still like all these intersections of stuff happening. And so like, I try to, as a queer advocate, I try to toe the line between all lives matter, or all queer lives matter, and all Black lives matter, and all Black trans lives matter, too. I mean, there's a horrible you know, epidemic in our country for black trans women, trans women Mm -hmm. of color being killed. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are the most marginalized and the most attacked. And unfortunately, whether it's a cop or white man within the black community, there's still a ton of stigma. I mean, so within the queer community, there's homophobia and transphobia. I mean, there's TERFs. I mean, look at what's happening, JK Rowling. So within every community, there's going to be these fights, unfortunately, and this misunderstanding. And so I think each movement and each group need to have their voice. And we have to understand that when they speak, we have to know that they're not 
speaking necessarily for the entire group. And we have to trust how somebody's feeling when they say these things. And so if we can, yes, bridge this gap between understanding people better, I really think that overall, we will be kinder to each other. I mean, oh, the Black Lives Matter movement is so much more than being kind. I mean, it's our country is built on systemic racism. And I'm not an advocate in I mean, I'm an advocate for that work, but my work is not in that. So I can't imagine the work that needs to go into dismantling that. So I think, you know, being a queer non-binary person, you know, before COVID, I was all in, what do I do? COVID hit, and then all my speaking engagements stopped. And my ability to go into schools, which is, you know, my passion to educate teachers and to be a visible ally and representation for the queer youth in the classes, whether they're out or not, you know, that's, that's where my work is. And so half my work got canceled. And I'm kind of like, well, what's going to happen now? You know, these teachers are doing the best they can just to figure out, you know, distance learning. And then budgets are being cut. Will money be spent to do this type of work? Like we need this work now because the queer community was also disproportionately hit by COVID because the jobs that we occupy are usually service-based, entertainment-based. And so I didn't know what how to be an advocate, honestly. And um, I went through my own kind of three-week depression and some mourning of, of things. And I feel like it took me almost two months to kind of figure out what I need to do as far as writing again and and that my voice is still important and how do I maybe switch stuff to some online trainings and I really benefit from being in front of a group. I read people pretty well. Yeah. And I think people are really more comfortable asking questions. And there's usually a lot of good conversations that come out of just being in a space. And you can't get that in the same way in like a Zoom training or a, a webinar. I mean, you can, but it's just different. It's draining. Yeah. It's it's just, it's different. I mean, could I do the work? Probably. Is it going to be as impactful? No, it's not. Because also being what an you know, advocate and educator, what people benefit from is just seeing another queer person. Like, I hate to be that token person, but it's like, people will be like, I've never met a non-binary person. I'm like, well, right. congratulations. Now you have. Like, <laughs> now you have. Yeah. But the yeah. adding that personal element to this is what does a lot of good for people. And telling stories and me talking about being a parent, like if you can find these commonalities, people are usually more willing to listen. And I'm also okay with people making mistakes if it's generally done in a way that they're trying to learn. And yes, there's ignorance involved, but there's not malicious intent. Right. There's intention there to to open up their minds a little bit. Right. So, you know, and now you know, I mean, our, it just, our country feels like a dumpster fire. It really does. Mm-hmm. And I really hope, I, I hate that it took another recorded killing of a black person to start kind of this beautiful uprising because people have been angry for a long time and have been hurting for a long time. And so it's been pretty amazing to watch kind of some of the positive changes that have come out of yes. the protests. And I wish we had a leader and an administration that was able to support those peaceful protests and hear them because people people shut down, they get defensive or not hearing people. I don't love the cancel culture. You know, I just see fighting between friends about, well, yes, Black Lives Matter, but it's like, no, there's no but like, you know, or just cancel them. They're a racist. Okay, well, are they like, I do this like with training, like, are they a bigot? Are they transphobic? Are they just ignorant? And they don't know what they don't know. And then how can we like walk them through it? How can we touch them? Yeah. Are they movable middle? That's always what I say. Are they movable middle? And and, and I say that in my work with just speaking as a parent of a trans child. And that's a great point. Are they movable middle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to tell I like to say, are they can they go from passive to active allies? Oh, I love that. Like, can we get them whether it's speaking out? 
out more, or whether it's challenging somebody, showing you know on your Facebook feeds, getting a pin. You know, I tell teachers put a flag in your pencil cup, like just that yeah. little symbol. Kids who need to see that are going to see it. So I think it's my. I feel like my job as a white person <laughs> is to listen, is to read, is you know my job is to learn, and it's also to call people out when I see it and do some of that emotional labor of helping people better understand. My partner Kristen is so much more patient, so much more better about this than I am. But, um, you know, help people go from that, like, unsure to, oh, yeah, my mind's changed. Okay, I okay, I can do this. I mean, right. unfortunately, we can't waste our energy on the people who are so stuck in whatever they believe in, whether that LGBTQIA plus matters or race matters. I mean, sometimes people just are who they are, unfortunately, right. we yeah. can still extend a bit of respect and kindness and an offering to hey, if you want to learn, but usually if people are like, no, (laughs) then you have to move on. And and whether that's family or friends or strangers, I think our energy is better spent really kind of like you said, moving along the middle and helping the passive folks become more active in their learning and in their doing whatever the, the, the matter is. Yeah, no, I and I love that. I think that's all really good perspective. And you know, your writing, I mentioned in the beginning when I introduced you that your writing is literally all over the internet. I mean, Washington Post, Romper, Pop Sugar, Fairy Mommy, I mean, just to name a few. And you talk about so many varieties of topics from your sobriety to your journey, your coming out story. I mean, all over the place, you've shared so much of your soul. And first of all, thank you, because I think visible folks like you are the reason why parents like me, cisgender, straight, white females, like how we get to a place of loving acceptance with our children because we hear stories like yours. We hear stories. There's so many great stories out there, but you know, you've put so much of your soul out there. And um, I saw in one, one of your articles, I forget which platform I saw it on, but I saw that you're a fellow yogi and Mm -hmm. um, that that's helped your, your challenges along the way. And I love that. What I really love, and I want to draw attention to this because What I've always loved and respected about you, first of all, I don't even know how you and I connected on social media. I have no idea how that happened. I think it was through Scary Mommy. I think I had read a couple of your articles. Okay. And like I said, you are also a brilliant writer. And um, I really appreciated your vulnerability and saying how you had to learn and had to listen to your kiddo. And that was a journey. And and I think I, I like to tell parents that it's okay to feel maybe some guilt and shame, but not let that stop you from moving forward because you can't let that turn into then putting it on your child and having them feel that shame or feeling like they did something to hurt you and kind of let that be your motivation to do better, honestly. And just because you weren't doing what you need to do at the time doesn't mean you were doing bad. I mean, some people are like, oh, such a bad parent. It's like, well, you were an informed parent. And, you know, once you learn these truths about your kiddo, you know, going forward, you know, are you affirming and validating your kiddo even with some stumbles if you're still trying to move forward? Yeah. There's no reason to put yourself up over it. I mean, it's a process for sure. I mean, my kiddo came out as trans. I mean, I was queer for a long time. My coming out journey is like, I feel like we're constantly coming out. I mean, I come out every day. I mean, saying my name and then people like, like, yeah, since 
since I've had top surgery. Before I had top surgery, people weren't sure how to gender me. I got more ma'am than sir because of my breasts. Mm-hmm. And now without my, you know, breasts since having top surgery, I get more sir than ma'ams, but it's still, which hurts less than being ma'amed. But then when I say my name, people are like, oh, well, that's a feminine name. And because I have, I'm actually okay with my name for the most part with people who say it. It's when I have to introduce myself and people aren't sure of my gender or then they jump to, oh, well, then your gender is female because you have a feminine name. So the thing that kind of makes me most dysphoric in public is my name. And I've actually talked about maybe coming up with a gender neutral name. So when I meet new people, still kind of keep them in suspense because there's nothing wrong with that. I don't have to legally change my name. I don't have to legally do anything really to, you know, be trans and be who I need to be. So I feel like, you know, I'm, I've always been coming on. I mean, I knew from a very young age, I was assigned female at birth. I knew I liked other girls and, um, you know, I was gay. And I also grew up in a, a Midwestern town that was, I guess, religious based, bigoted. I, I just, I knew my, I grew up in a very religious house and I knew coming out wasn't an option. I also knew from a very young age that, I mean, I thought I was speaking of, you know, not a tomboy, like I thought I was a tomboy, you know, I love sports and this, and I wanted to look well, we- more. Like yeah, we love that. We love that that title, which is why I titled my podcast "Not a Tomboy" because that we love to force that title on folks that are assigned female at birth and that like those sporty things. And it always rubbed me the wrong way for my own child to be like constantly labeled that. And it it just I can't even really describe why it bothered me so much, but it just did. I mean, well before he came out as as trans, like it, it just really bothered me that we were so quick to label sporty cis females. And, but yet there's no parallel for cis boys that like girly things that, you well, know. Well, it's protect- negative. They'd be sissies. Yeah. They'd be fruity or fairies, you know, faggots. Yeah. You know, they yeah. would be these yeah. things. And yet we're somehow taking something. I mean, for me, I like the idea that boy masculine but for cis straight girls who are into sports, like that's just cool. That's just, there's another way. There's so many different ways to be any gender. And so it felt kind of unfair to take this strong athletic female and then give her a male label as if like you can't be a girl and do these things or, you know, a boy who liked stereotypical girl things, then they were less masculine somehow. And yeah. yeah so yeah, I don't like the, the word tomboy, but I, I clung to it because, you know, growing up in the 80s. That's what that's, you do. That's what yeah. you do. And that's what you do. Yeah. Right. And so and I, I, I read this... somewhere, I read somewhere in your writing that you had a crush on a girl by age five because oh, that yeah. girl gave you something, a Snoopy something. Do I have well, that? Am I, mean, I remembering? It was a substitute teacher. She was a college student. And I just felt like the sweater of like, oh, wow, like you're super cool. Like, I think she was like, I don't know, like a student teacher from the local uh-huh. college and I got a Snoopy okay. sticker and I like uh-huh. got these like weird like oh like <laughs> okay like this is interesting like I like like more than like a like I've had I had babysitters you know like but there's just something like I don't know it was five or six you know this intimacy of like somebody giving me something I don't know maybe I was hard up for like attention I don't know but but I knew yes I knew from a very young age and like neighbor you know girls as you know I got a little older and then definitely by middle school it's like oh yeah like I definitely knew you know if I were to if and when I fall in love, like this is it. And so definitely had crushes. And, and I so, only... so your middle school years, it, would you say like, when did you learn? Because I, I stopped asking, pe- asking people, when did you know? And I've started asking people because of something I read somewhere, I think in the Twitter world, when did you learn to hide it? Because so many LGBT 
folks had to suppress and hide because they learned from uh, any given age that they had to hide it. Is that true for you? Was there a point in time when you learned that you needed to hide your identity? Yeah, I, I mean, I was I never knew it was okay. So I guess the opposite would be I always knew it wasn't okay. Uh, I mean, I went to church every Sunday and did Bible study. And so I mean, I knew from a very early age from religion that it wasn't okay to be gay. I also already had a lot of shame because I was being sexually abused from very early on based on witness accounts of other people from about the age of two until I was 12. So there was already some shame a lot of shame and secrecy. And there was already things I was hiding. So this piece that was just different. And also my abuser was female, which kind of creates a kind of some mental gymnastics as far as how is it that I ended up being abused by a female, but yet like female, you know, it was this thing, but the same way, like cisgender straight women, you know, are raped by men and still fall in love with men. You can't blame you know, the, you can't blame the victim. Um, But I, in my own journey of like coming out, I mean, it's all connected and layered and makes me view things differently. And so in that regard, I also knew like, you know, when I was little, like, like something was missing, like, am I missing a penis? Like I hated, I've always hated my breasts. And so I'd always had this exploration of like, what is my body? Who am I? Where do I fit in it? And um, as I got older, you know, and I came out until college and kind of started taking on that masculine, you know, butch, you know, role. And then that wasn't right. And, you know, I had known, I had thought maybe I was a transgender male, like I was doing all this research, like maybe that's what it is. I'm like, no, that's not it. And yeah, it it finally took getting sober to, and also language, the evolution of language, honestly, is what helped. I mean, I went from gender nonconforming to gender queer, gender fluid, I'm like non-binary. Yes, that's it. Because I wanted to find a label. I wanted to be able to not fix because I don't think there's anything wrong with me. But I wanted to be able to put my finger on what I was feeling. And I really couldn't do that in terms of my gender identity until that word non binary was there. And I'm like, yes, this makes complete sense. This is who I am. And at what point in your life was that when that discovery was made? Um, I it's only been a few years. Um, honestly, I mm-hmm. switched will it be this October that it's been about two years since I switched pronouns. So I, I mean, I knew a little bit before I got sober, and I'll be sober three years in July. So oh, congratulations, your anniversary is coming up. That's I know. Amazing. Third. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And yeah, but I kind of that's kind of like my before and after some people talk about like, before and after transition, like, I don't know that that's there's ever before and after, but I definitely have a before and after sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I think after sobriety is when I really just let all of the truths in and finally just tackled what I needed to. And I really just flipped the table and upended a lot of things from divorce to coming out as non-binary, you know, to, you know, meeting a new person. Um, yeah. You know, a lot has happened um, in three years. And I feel like I've gone through the ringer a lot of days. But at the same time, I feel more sure of who I am. I'm definitely as mentally and physically healthy as I've been. And, you know, living your most authentic self does not make all the people happy all the time. And (laughs) I'm okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I really am. And yeah, my my focus, you know, in the last couple years has shifted 
I mean, I'm still an advocate for my trans daughter, but as she gets a little older, she and I are having more conversations about how can we use her story? What is she comfortable with me sharing? And it kind of became my coming out story a little bit. And I needed to take the focus a little bit and figure out who I am and how I wanted to to combine my advocacy as far as advocating for people like me who come out later in life or for non-binary folks, because sure. that still seems new and confusing for a lot of people. But also, how do I still advocate for trans kids, specifically my daughter, in a way that respects her story and and the needle forward so that she can benefit from that stuff. So that's a lot of balancing. And I, and and to that point, and what I wanted to also draw attention to is the fact that what I love about your advocacy work and your writing is that you don't, I, I don't see a lot of pictures of your kids. I don't hear a lot of your kids' stories. And I think that that is super intentional and important because as someone who struggles on a daily to differentiate my story as a parent of a trans kid versus overexposing my son Dylan's story, it's very admirable that you are able to keep that balance and keep the focus for the greater good. And it does not at all take away from your advocacy that you're not sharing your daughter's story. And I think that's super important that that's mentioned because I just, I don't see on your public Facebook page, I I just, I don't see a lot of pictures of your kids to, and I don't want to use the word overexposed because every, every visible advocate is different in, in what they feel safe in sharing. And so I love that you just made that point that you're having those conversations, unpacking what's comfortable for her. And is that hard to balance that? Um, I was very intentional when I started the public Facebook page. I had used the kids' pictures in my writing. There's definitely some stuff out there with her picture on it. I, goodness, several years ago, I started the public Facebook page because I because I did have writing all over the place. I was trying to figure out and I was starting to get a ton of messages from mm-hmm. folks because they're like, oh my gosh, I wrote for Babel for a while. It was owned by Disney. They since don't exist. That website, um, and the stories might still live there, but it's not an active site anymore. Um, and it was interesting because when they would share my stuff on, about you know LGBTQ stuff or trans stuff, the trans stuff, like I just got trash. It's interesting. You find people's like levels of acceptance, like, Oh, love is love. Let boys wear dresses. You have a trans kid. You're, you're going to hell. You're a pedophile. You shouldn't have kids. You're awful. Like you're abusing your kid. How could you force your kid? I'm like, I can't force my kid to put their shoes on the morning. Like, really? Like, right. I, yes, yes. I understand that. Interesting how like, I didn't force my kid to be cisgender. Like, why would I just pick one of the three to be trans? (laughs) Like, okay, like, she's my favorite. So you get to have the fabulous trans person. Like, what? It's just... I was getting all of these messages and I was overwhelmed and Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, okay, maybe a public Facebook page where I can post all my articles, uh, you know, and direct people there. And I don't post everything I write because honestly, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches sometimes because I'm like gross as a working writer. I have a lot of stuff out there and I'm like, what do people want? And, you know, so I I try to- No, all of it. I mean, we do. We want all of it. It's so beautiful and it's taught me so much. You should never- mute yourself with that. I, I'm, again, your biggest fan of your writing. So Thank I want you. you to put it all out there. Well, I need to go back to my website too. Honestly, like it's kind of one of those things. I started my website. I did um, a speaking engagement 
um, a few years ago and I went, I wanted a website so that I could direct people to it. So to get more work and it worked, but it, my website, I don't know. I don't have time for all the things, Vanessa. I need, oh, I need I know. help. I, I need it. people. No, I totally understand it. And I, cause right. I think a piece of this that people, most people don't understand now you're a writer and you write for big publications. And so I'm sure that is the way that you make your living for the most part. But I, I don't think people understand that most of us in advocacy, we don't make money on being advocates. We don't, we don't make a lot of money, if any. And writing, I mean, you have to be a superb writer to get paid. And so, you know, it's, it's not easy to do all of the things. And trust me, I, I totally understand that piece of it. But You're I mean, a hustler, like, that's the thing yeah. with, with freelancing, like, it's a, you know, you pitching and honestly, like queer writers aren't giving the voices. It's interesting. I wondered how Pride Month talking about current, you know, situation in Pride Month la- every year. I don't know if you get this, you know, a couple weeks before June, I get bombarded with, you know, hey, how about you talk about Pride stuff? I'm like, how about we do this in March too? Like, <laughs> right. I am swamped. Like, I also don't want to say right. no to the money, but it's like, right. it's amazing how my work triples in June because Isn't it's not interesting. Right. Well, and that kind of plays into my whole thing about rainbow capitalism too, which I think we could probably talk a whole podcast episode about, you know, and, and how, and to that point, how far we've come just in general with LGBT conversations within the last, say, four to five years because even when I started on this journey as a parent of a gender non-conforming kid several years ago, there were not a lot of resources out there that I could tangibly find on the internet. I mean, I, I don't know if that's just because I was new to the journey, but how do you feel about the last, say, four to five years? Do you feel like the conversation has broadened and and deepened since then? I think I have seen a shift definitely in, and part of it has been in, you know, this movement toward, you know, girls can be strong, they can be scientists. And I think a lot of those parents are also saying, okay, well, boys can be soft. Let's Mm -hmm. explore the emotions of, and part of the Me Too movement, you know, let's raise boys in different ways. Let's talk about entitlement. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. consent more, you know, let's do these things. So I feel like there's a shift toward accepting of different sexualities, even maybe different gender expressions within the binary genders of male and female. There are definitely, some people are more accepting of transgender adults. People don't understand that trans kids you know, people are like, oh, how could you do surgery on them? It's funny how like they're <laughs> yeah. pro surgery on intersex kids to make sure they fit the, you know, the gender construct of the binary. But mm-hmm. like, <laughs> so it's like yep. oh, there, there are all these different running arguments that don't add up. But yeah, I, I still, anytime I write about me being non-binary, but specifically if I write about having a trans kid, I mean, I don't know if you saw somebody posted on my Facebook page a few, several, maybe it was a month ago, several weeks ago. Hey, you're trending on Yahoo right now. And I'm like, that's not good. Anytime I'm trending right. anywhere, it's right. not good. No, you don't want to hear that. No, <laughs> no. And no. they're like, oh, I thought, yay. I'm like, no. And I looked no. and sure enough, it was because an article I had written about my trans daughter. And it's just, you see the absolute worst. And I know it's out there. And that's why I'm intentional about not putting if I put pictures of my kids on my Instagram page, they're usually together. Um, and you don't right. know which one um, right. is is trans. Right. Um, I try not to isolate that because one, it doesn't matter. Um, but on my in my writing, um, if I have pictures of my kids, I rarely show their faces. And on my same with my Facebook page, 
because when I started getting death threats um, Mm -hmm. and when somebody within my local community started threatening me, um, that's when I said, okay, it's one thing for me to be visible and people can connect with us. I mean, honestly, if people want to find me, they can. But in order to protect the safety of my kids, whether it's just on the internet and or physically, I became very intentional and said, you know what, I need to stop showing their faces in a way that could be used against them. I mean, am I as careful and as strict about it as other people? No, some people have never shown their kids faces on any platform. Now, my kiddos, I tend to ask them, I'm starting to have more conversations about consent in a lot of different areas and say, hey, I really like this picture. Can I post it. I mean, my oldest is yeah. like, yes, I'm famous. Yeah, show everybody <laughs> right, all the things. Yeah. Show them this video of me like making the dog shake my hand. Right. And, um, you know, so it's like, I try to ask them what they want and what feels good to them. Because like you said, you know, it's also their story. It's their lives. And I've never been really scared by the hate that comes my way. I've had in, in physical spaces where I felt unsafe, but it's just a precaution I take. Um, yeah. The internet is kind of like the wild, wild west. and It is. It is. And it's there forever. And I learned that the hard way. I mean, my, one of my, and I've talked about this publicly quite a bit. One of my, um, my introduction to bad media was a British media group that wanted to do a piece. The way they sold it to me at the time was, this was back in what, 2015. They, they sold it to me as um, we want to do a documentary on parents that are raising gender nonconforming kids. And we have this YouTube channel. Um, I forget the name of it that they, they said that they were going to put it on this channel. And anyway, it ended up to be basically a complete tabloid scam. And uh, Dylan was so excited. I mean, he was only five, six or six years old. And he was so excited to do it at the time. It was before he came out as trans and all you need to tell a six-year-old is YouTube and you're going to be on it. And, and of course that's exciting and fun. And I was so naive in my thinking. And so we did this bad piece of media and it was terrible and they spun it in a way that was so uncomfortable. And so I, I kind of, I respect that about you. And that was something from the minute I met you, online, virtually, remotely was, was that like, I was like, wow, Amber is able to tell their story without exposing their child. And I, it's a balance. And I don't think people realize that either because, and you have your own story of, of being in the LGBT community, but then you have your child's story and you, you do such a beautiful job of keeping those separate and intentional. And I think that's phenomenal. And, um, you know, so I, I, I do want to talk for a second too, about that. I found it interesting what you just said about you get the same hate that I do in terms of, oh my God, you're making your kid trans and and that whole narrative is still there. Do you ever hear that because you're in the LGBT community that you have an agenda? And I already know the answer to this, but I'm just, I'm, I just would like for our listeners to hear it from your perspective. Yeah, for sure. And actually before, I mean, I wasn't identifying as trans when we knew Ryan was transgender. I, in my head, I mean, and and it's interesting too, like talking to other parents, whether they're in the queer community or not, or they have a trans kids. I I always say you like, I'm also a parent. I Mm -hmm. feel like the wheel was greased being a queer parent. Like I knew these issues. And so I understood what it meant to be transgender. I had trans friends. And so I understood it. But when I look at my kiddo, I didn't want her, not want her to be trans. I just knew the life of being transgender and what that would mean for her. And of course, like there's some mourning that goes into it. Like I celebrate her every day. I I mean, ultimately, I just want a happy 
kid who's going to live the life that she wants. That's all that I really wanted. And I knew that from the very beginning. But in the back of my head, I said, you know what, we're going to say we have a trans kid and people are going to say, of course you do. Of course you do. Um, and so I had to get over my own phobias of that. And yeah. what does that mean? Ultimately, I mean, we we're going to do what was right for her. And who cares what people said, but I had to prepare myself for that. And we've, yes, we've gotten that a little bit for sure. But, you know, if anything, people have said, oh, it's so great that she was born into that family because she is in a family who understood it. And whether it's, you know, I eventually then came out as trans or just my ability to educate and speak and write on the subject, like how lucky for her. I'm like, well, I kind of wish all kids were that lucky. Like, it's kind of like what we should do. Um, You know, we should love our kids unconditionally. But yeah, there's definitely a balance. And I think, you know, people don't realize how thoughtful parents of trans kids are in this journey. And it takes a team of people. It's, you know, supportive teachers and friends and pediatricians and some kiddos um, want and need a therapist to talk to. And it really, it's more than just, oh, we're going to make you do this. Like parents, you know, want their kids to thrive. And, um, and it's not being trans that stops a kid from thriving. It's the discrimination and the bullying and it's the denial that causes them to go inward. Um, it's this idea that they have to be what society tells them. And unfortunately that's a lot of heteronormative messages that, well, society is straight and cisgender. And if you're not those things, you're other. And if you're other, then you're less than. And those are the messages kids are getting all the time. Like even my kids who grew up or growing up and, you know, my ex is a woman. And for a long time, we identified as a same sex couple, a family with two moms and a trans sister. I mean, my son, every once in a while, I will say stuff like that's for girls. I'm like, time out. Yeah. Do you know where you are? Like, but, <laughs> right. like read the room, kid. <laughs> right. Like, like the messages they're getting constantly. He's like, no, I know. Like he loves purple and he'll pick pink and he like I'm not worried about it but like we can joke about it but even kids who are raised in houses that just bleed queerness and Mm -hmm. try to break down those stereotypes all the time are still like oh I wait I question should I question why you know I'm a boy and like pink no but he goes to friends with school who are telling him he shouldn't like pink and what do you do yeah, about that? Right. What do you do about other people's kids? Right. Or other people's parents, I should say. Other kids' parents. Right. Like, what do you do about it? And and I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful part of what you do, educating teachers and educating the educators in these topics. And I've done a lot of that work myself here in Southwest Florida. It become part of my mission. And it's hard because for me as a cisgender woman, I don't like doing the work because I always feel like I'm stepping on LGBT voices in this space. But down here in this conservative area, there's not a lot of people doing the work that I'm doing. And so I've, I've had to do some of it. Um, actually, I've thrown together Zoom meetings recently for Dylan's elementary school, which he's not a part of anymore. He's moving on to middle school, but I put together just a question and answer Zoom meeting and like, let's talk honestly about bring your bias, bring your hard questions about trans kids. And I love that work. And I wanted your thoughts on the work in person. We touched on it in the beginning. In terms of what you do in your public speaking, in your educating, in your writing, what is your favorite part of advocacy? You said in the beginning of of our talk that you liked being in person. What about that piece of it do you like? And is that 
your favorite part of advocacy? Yes. Um, I do love being in person. I like helping people. Part of, I didn't work the steps of any particular sobriety program. I, yoga, like you said, I'm a yogi. I really found my higher power through yoga and through who I consider a mentor and a, a, a yoga instructor. And so I have used yoga to find ways to allow myself to be uncomfortable, whether it's in my brain, whether it's in my body. And I love to help people feel uncomfortable in certain topics. You know, I've heard so many times, you know, we can't read that book here. It makes a teacher uncomfortable. I'm like, well, Common Core Math was uncomfortable too. You guys figured it out. Like, <laughs> right. Let's read I Am Jazz right. together and break right. it down. Like, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's that. okay. Like, yeah. people, and also too, I like to be not only represent myself and my daughter and the queer community without, you know, I, I feel like like you do, we amplify these voices. And I appreciate you because I know how different pockets of Florida are. And if a queer person can't or isn't able or doesn't want to speak up, I think it's fantastic that allies, we need allies, nothing can be accomplished alone. And so you are definitely an ally who amplifies the queer community's voice. And so I appreciate that. And I know there's plenty of queer kids who appreciate that specifically and those pockets of Florida. So yeah, I love the interaction. I love seeing light bulbs go off for people. Yes, yes, um, I see the same thing. I love those moments because you can tangibly, palpably, viscerally feel it, right? Like I love those moments where you can, or you at least know that they're marinating in your yes. words. And I'm very clear and I tell people, you can ask me anything. I may tell you that's not appropriate. Never ask that again to another person because that's very hurtful. And I move on, I can say, I'm willing to answer it, but most people may not be willing to answer it. So I like to give people the space to, and some trainers don't. Some LGBTQ trainers are like, no, here's the information. And I'm not downing. I mean, that's what they need to do. That's fine. I mean, we all have our own emotional bandwidth. Mine's pretty wide when I give my trainings. And I know that I also know after that, I'm going to be absolutely spent. And I'm okay with that. Because for me, giving that away feels good. It feels like a purpose. And also like in my sobriety, being of service really fills me up. I recently had a conversation with a parent whose child recently came out as transgender and talk about COVID and kind of missing that like ability to teach and be with people. We went for an hour long walk and I came back and I told my partner about it. She's like, oh, you've missed this. I'm like, I have missed this. I've missed connecting. I've missed being able to be in a role to help people understand something that they want to and they accept, but they're just not quite sure. And they don't want to put the emotional labor on their child or their friend or their family member. And so it feels good for me to say, here's the information, here's where you can get more of it. Here's maybe where your kid's coming from. And oh, by the way, have your kids send me an email or a text if they don't know how to tell you something, because I'm happy to also be that person for them. And so it's just about conversation and letting people know it's okay to be uncomfortable. And I really like being able to like shut down people's (laughs) Yeah, you know, like, and I'm not gonna lie, when I'm able to like change the mind of a white cisgender man, which by the way, there aren't a lot of cis men who come to my trainings. I would not. Yeah, that's not a surprise to me. No, But in the event, there are a couple, it feels really good to kind of have the upper hand in Mm -hmm. some of these conversations. And that's really, it feels really good. Because my hope is then they will go and then educate another cis man, or at least 
challenge a thought when you know they're out getting drinks or whatever cis men play racquetball I don't know whatever they do I don't want to stereotype but whatever they're doing like they're hanging out you know yeah. and maybe you know this person came to the train and said you know what I actually met a non-binary person and this is what yeah. I learned and like hey kind of thing so yeah um I like to be able to give people information and I tell them when they leave my hope is now they can go and become better allies and educate other people and we can kind of spread these messages so that over overall things slowly improve, which I'd like to say I'm optimistic. Um, again, it depends on what day it is, but yeah. there's still so much to do. And I definitely think sexuality wise, people are more accepting with who people love, but gender identity still has a long way to go. People need a lot of educating. We do. And, and to that point, so I'm a part of, and I'm not sure if you're in this group with me or not. I'm a part of Ally Parents, which is part of the organization called Stand With Trans. And I'm a part of a list of affirming parents that trans youth can reach out to if they just need, a, you know, a text or a FaceTime or a quick call. It's usually text these days, but I've had, especially since quarantine, I've had probably seven or eight trans youth reach out to me and they're not, they're not doing so well. And with quarantine, with unsupportive parents, and I worry about them all the time. And obviously being cisgender, I'm not always sure that I'm saying the right things, but, and I always do offer to connect them to other trans folks because I have those networks created and things like that, but they, they really just need a parent and they just need that love and supportiveness. Sometimes they misread what I can and can't do. Sometimes they think I'm more of a therapist or wish that I was. Sometimes they think that I can change their parents' minds, but ultimately, their age, I don't know, 13 to 17. They're still in those teenage years that are very difficult. And sometimes I don't know what to say. So my question to you is, if you're, if you're faced with one of those youths that, you know, they're 13, 14, and they're like, I can't take another day of this. I can't take another day of being around my mom and my dad that constantly misgender me. What would, what would you say to those kids? I mean, I've had a couple of those really tough, honest conversations with those kids. I mean, at the time they were still attending school and did have support at school and they had supportive friends to be where they need to be. Cause I would say it was, should I come out? Well, it's your story. It's when you come out, you know, is up to you. I said, but know that you right now are depending on your parents for housing, for food, for clothing, for all these different things. And I said, it's really not fair that there's a condition for that. But I said, my ultimate goal is to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. I said, unfortunately, your mental health might be suffering. So how can we get you talking to a guidance counselor? How can we get you talking potentially to a therapist? I always ask them, are you self harming? Are you self medicating? Mm -hmm. You know, how can I help you get these resources outside of the house that usually you can access? through school somehow. It's different now for sure. I then also tell people, I know what that feels like because I did live in a house and was essentially forced out of the closet when I was in college. My mother forced me out of the closet before I was ready to come out because I knew it wouldn't be okay to come out. And sure enough, then, you know, it was religion. I'll pray for you. You know, don't be this. It was short of sending me to conversion therapy, but I was 20, 21 at the time. I mean, it didn't go over well. So I knew what it was like. And I just kept my head down and I'm like, what do I need to do to get out? I mean, I hate to like tell kids that because I also sat with a shotgun in my bed one time thinking suicide was the answer. So 
I know what it's like for suicidal ideation. And I, you know, remind people that, you know, reach out and it does get better. It sounds so cliche, but it absolutely does get better. And if you can find those pockets of support, and I'm actually kind of glad for the youth today to have the access they do to online groups. I think I'm so glad that there's representation online for kids to find friends because I didn't have that as a kid. I mean, there were no clubs at school. There were no, you know, what the kids do these days, TikTok. Oh yeah. And me too. So just so you know, like no judgment, but I do it too. Hey, have at it. I just, (laughs) I love TikTok. I've learned, you know, there's a really great LGBT presence on TikTok and the black creators that have taken their emotional labor to TikTok to teach us white people what we should and shouldn't be doing. I just wrote about one of them. Who is the non-binary person who does that? Uses TikTok to talk about racial and gender issues. Why can't I think of their name? I just wrote about them. Follow so many of them. I couldn't even tell you. My new favorite Black creator specifically, and I'm not sure that she is in the LGBT community or not, but her name is Ryan Starr, and and she's amazing. I mean, her knowledge, she's just phenomenal. But yeah, I. And, but yes, anyway, to to distract from from what you were saying, but I I definitely think TikTok has been a wealth of information. But I do direct those youth to supportive platforms to your point and for sure the trevor project i mean there's um that's such a great organization you know so i think people need to see their stories and even you know the it gets better project i mean those stories i mean it sucks and kids shouldn't have to choose between you know feeling safe or feeling except like kids shouldn't have to choose that like bottom line and i tell them like it's not fair It's absolutely not fair. But if you come out and it's physically and mentally more unsafe than just kind of gritting through it and know that it's going to get better. Like if you choose to come out, like what's your plan? Do you have somewhere you can go? Because the last thing I want is to add to the homeless population words of 40% of the youth who are homeless identify as LGBTQIA+. Like I want kids to know the reality because they already do. And I tell them it's up to them if and when they come out. But these are your potential scenarios that might happen and ultimately know that you're loved and there are people who support you and it's going to get better and you don't have to be under this house forever. But if you choose to stay in this house, what's going to be makes you most comfortable in a crappy situation. So there's not an easy answer and it sucks. And that's why, you know, it broke my heart when kids couldn't go to, you know, their pride meetings, um, you know, or their queer centers, their school groups, Um, have that teacher or coach who, you know, or even the friend's house. I mean, there's just so many things that were cut off for the queer community, specifically the queer youth that I just, I hope they can find some online support, but it is different. It's not the same. And it's pretty brutal living and feeling trapped already, whether it's you haven't come out yet. So there's that sense of feeling trapped and then also being trapped with unsupportive and um, potentially abusive parents. So it's hard that they're not alone. Yeah, I know for sure it is hard. And it it, it has has really made me think outside of my normal thought patterns. And, you know, when I respond to them, it's been a really interesting and at times heartbreaking uh, conversations. But anyway, I've taken up almost an hour of your time. So my last question is, we touched on this just a second ago, but who inspires you on social media? Who should we follow specifically Black creators um, or, or visible Black LGBT activists? Is there anyone that pops out in your mind? that we should follow oh goodness uh 
how do I pronounce their name? Jessamine? Is that right? Who is Yogi? How do you say them pronouns? This is awful. I totally am on the spot here. And <laughs> let me go to my people on the spot. No, no, and we can drop it. We can drop it. It's called Everybody Yoga. And they, I'm going to use they pronouns because I'm not sure what they use, they or she pronouns. That's awful. But here I am. See, I make mistakes too. And yeah, but that's vulnerable right there. I mean, but I, but we can also drop the link in the description of the podcast. So it's everybody yoga. Yeah. And they are a black yoga instructor and body positive and they are dating a white person. And so they talk about this. How do I dismantle like my own biases? And how do I look at this person who, you know, is a color of skin who has caused me so much pain and and dismantling like what? I follow them too. Yes. Okay. Jessamine. Yes. Jessamine. Thank you. Yes. 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 I love them. And I'm not sure of their pronouns either. So So I've been gravitating kind of, I really enjoy that work. Yes. Their name is Jessamine Stanley for everyone. Yes. Jessamine Stanley is their name. And yes, I think they're incredible as well. And Amber, where can we find you on social media? Goodness. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Amber Leventree. And then my Facebook page is Family Rhetoric. It's by Amber Leventree. Yeah, I mean, I should know. But yeah, usually if people type my name, they can um, find me. But it's definitely Family Rhetoric Facebook. And yeah, I have a website, www.amberleventree.com. It's not as and up-to-date you're available as for I would trainings? like. I'm absolutely available for trainings. I am still learning the world of online training, but I would be up for learning that. And um, obviously, I love to travel and would, would do that. But I am always happy to... And even consultation work. I know people, educators often ask like what can we do to make our classrooms more inclusive and that's kind of my jam how do we make spaces more inclusive and a quick tip you know it's reducing gendered language it's increasing the visibility in the books that you read to kids a lot of it is you know getting rid of that binary segregation of kids you know boys here girls here you know a lot of that visible allyship put up a rainbow flag or a sticker and nip the uh the the stuff you hear in terms of you know gender stereotypes basically let kids explore who they are and if, if teachers because honestly kids aren't usually bullied right away for their sexuality it's how they express their gender and if we can get teachers and kids from a very early age to understand that you can look however you want um and wear and paint your nails and do all the things then if and when a kid does come out and even though a boy likes to paint his nails doesn't mean he's going to be gay but if he does come out then it's kind of like no big deal because we've already accepted him for those non-conforming traits anyhow we can start early and that is with books and just allowing kids to explore um, without feeling like they have to fit into some kind of box so yeah I love it I love that little free tidbit of information it's important and I did to that point and this is again I could talk to you all day but to that point again on TikTok I saw a creator I forget his name but grown adult cisgender straight male who has painted fingernails and Again, TikTok is a younger platform and they, his followers kept asking him why he was wearing nail polish. And he gave a really great follow-up video answer by saying, first of all, that he was an autistic, he shared with his audience that he's an autistic person and that it helped with some sensory things to paint his nails and he just likes it. And I just think it's so awesome that we are breaking down those gender stereotypes in all sorts of different ways and bridging that gap. Frankly, I do see even with Dylan and Dylan's friends and, and creators on TikTok that Dylan follows that, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old cisgender straight 
straight boys are wearing nail polish and coloring their hair pink and things that in my day, being a 43-year-old, we would have never seen. So I appreciate all the thoughts on breaking down gender stereotypes. And I really hope that you come back on my podcast again so we can maybe just focus on one myopic topic because we were all over the place today, which I love. (laughs) And I, I just love talking to you. I just love you. And I thank you for all your visibility. Do you think you'll write a book someday? I would like to, I actually have, I mean, this was years ago. I had said before my first was born, this was nine years ago, I was going to have my memoir done and I have chunks of it. And I would love to write a memoir. I would love, I have a a, a middle school book started that um, I would love to get back to. So yeah, I have, I have plans and I would love to write books. You should. I mean, I, I'm sure that people annoy you by saying this, but you should. I mean, your story, all of your stories are impactful, powerful, and the visibility has been incredible for me as an ally, as a parent to a trans kid. And I just appreciate you so much. I love you for being here. Thank you for taking all this time today with us. And yeah, yeah. thank you. Well, this is good for me and I can always talk to you. And and yeah, and hopefully, I mean, I'm sure I put my foot in my mouth at some point, but I will accept those mistakes and learn and grow from them. So thank you for giving me that space to to navigate because, you know, the, the state of our of our nation isn't complicated in what people want and need and deserve. But I think I am sensitive to the fact that I am still learning too, as far as, um, you know, how deeply rooted racism is in our country and what is my role in it and how can I be better? Yeah, not to take over, you know, Again, as you know, an advocate and marginalized person, I know what it's like to um, be spoken for, and I don't like that. So I never want to speak for anyone, but I would like to try to amplify voices and be a better ally. So, um, well, and I think a lot of us this Pride Month, because Pride Month was already before the murder of George Floyd happened. I think so many of us were already trying to figure out creative ways of celebrating pride. And by the way, Amber did an amazing article for those of you who didn't see it called Who Will Hug the Queer Kids at Pride that ran on Washington Post. Yes. Yeah. And so find that article. It's amazing. Um, But we were already trying to get creative with celebrating pride and then the murder of George Floyd. And I think a lot of voices are saying, and what I'm listening to is, so now Pride Month 2020 has become a riot because that's also the roots of the Stonewall riots and how we got pride to begin with. So I think a lot of us are uh, white folks are spending time learning this pride month, which what better way to celebrate LGBT people to be vulnerable, to listen, learn, amplify black voices and recognize our white privilege. So I appreciate you saying those words. And I think that's the way that we should be celebrating pride this month is by, you know, learning more about our, our black history, true black history and LGBT. LGBT history, which is intersectional. So. Absolutely. Well, thank yeah. you. All right, Amber, thank you. I love you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank All you, right. Samantha. Come back soon. A Samantha Ponzillo Media Production. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Not a Tomboy. I hope you all enjoyed my Pride Month 2020 series. I want to say a special thank you to all my guests this month. I'm so appreciative of you selflessly giving your time to be with me and to help educate others. Thank you so much for all of your hard work for the LGBTQ community. Although this Pride Month was like no other, my son and I learned probably more this year than any other. 
We were able to talk so much about why we have pride to begin with. We learned once again about the black trans women and the trans women of color who got us to where we are today. We're forever grateful. We're grateful for all the pioneers of this movement, and we are grateful to every LGBTQ plus person who felt safe enough to be visible and to use their voices for the greater good. I'm thankful for this Pride Month because it also allowed us to fight for the racial injustices across our nation. It gave us time to discuss what we need to be doing differently and how to become a better ally to the Black community. And for that, I am grateful as well. We have so much work to do and the work must remain intersectional. I'm committed myself and my son to doing better. Although Pride Month is coming to a close, pride is exercised every day within this fight. Let's continue to lift one another up, highlight the voices of the marginalized. I wanna close by simply saying thank you to this entire community for embracing me and for embracing my son. I'm incredibly grateful to each and every one of you who support not only this podcast, but my writing, my blog, my Facebook page, my Instagram, my TikTok, and all of my advocacy work. And most importantly, thank you so much for supporting my child. I hope you tuning in again next time, next month. I'll forge on with other amazing guests and probably just ramble on like I'm doing right now. Thanks so much for being here. This podcast episode was edited by Samantha Ponzillo Media. You can find Samantha's work at samanthaponzillomedia.com. And you can also find her on social media at Samantha Ponzillo Media. Thanks so much for your help, Samantha.